Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back to Soberholic Podcast. I'm Roger. I'm in the studio with Jason, and today we're going to be talking about, well, some pretty cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Our favorite uh, stuff. Well, yeah, yeah well, well, I guess we always talk about recovery, but we're going to repackage and deliver the 12 steps in even a more simple format. What was wrong with the, the regular 12 steps? Well, I don't guess anything's wrong with it, but, you know, I like things to be simplified. I know. I'm just kidding. And we've done this before about a year yeah, ago. We um, did the but, 12 steps. But not the way that we're going to give it to you right. today. And so we've kind of dumbed it down um, into four maybe principles would be the best way to. 12 steps for dummies. Yeah, like the old cliff notes like yeah. back when we were in school. I don't think they do that anymore. But, uh, I mean, I'm still a dummy, so I uh, needed to. Is it, should I say amen? Yes. Okay, yeah. amen. <laughs> uh, so we're going to make it kind of simple, but over it's going to take us four episodes to do this whole thing. And to give you an idea of what it's going to sound like over the next four episodes, we're going to take groups of these steps and put them together um, to where it's kind of like this. The first three steps we'll be talking about today, which we've kind of called just give up. That's what we got to do. Um, and then the next show we'll be talking about cleanup as we um, clean up the past, the wreckage that we've caused, and we take a, a look at those things. Then the, the third episode we're going to cover is makeup, where we make those amends to those people mm-hmm. that we've harmed. And we'll just make things right with our relationships. And then finally, we will talk about growing up. And that's not like maturity as far as like we're just immature. It, it's just simply meaning how we can grow in our relationships with God and other people. Yeah, sounds and great. So I think that this is will go over really well if everybody can kind of buy into it to understand that we're not trying to rewrite the steps. We're just trying to help you see it from a different way that's a little easier to digest. Yeah. yeah. Clean up. Clean up, make up. You missed the first one. Ah! <laughs> give up, clean up, make up, grow up. There you go. See? Give up, clean up, make up, grow up. Yeah. Got it. All right. You good? I'm glad I know what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you do, too, because you got a lot to talk about. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we're going to be talking about today giving up, and that's going to be steps one through three, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not even going to quote all those steps to you by now. You can our go look them up. Yeah, our listeners probably know these, but we're talking about the first three steps today. And we're going to simply simplify this by starting this process by saying, step one is saying, I can't. I, I can't fix my own problem. How do I know this? Because I've tried multiple times to do it on my own. And odds are, if you're listening to this show, you've tried it multiple times, right? Well, yeah, I mean, this is the hardest step to come to because you have to admit defeat. I think the original steps were not 12. There were six of them. And um, the original first step was something along the lines of um, like complete defeat or admit defeat or something like that. Are you talking about the absolutes? Is, is that, that what you're talking about? Like is that the what Oxford Group? The, the yeah. Is that what it was called? I well, the Oxford Oxford Group wrote those, and that's kind of where AA took some of their basic material from. But I don't remember if there was six or seven. I was thinking there was. Or no, seven. it was complete deflation. That was what it was. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
talking about your ego, like, you know, getting out of denial and, you know, admitting that you have a problem and that you can't control it. Well, I'll tell you what, when you can't do something, you're really humbled. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I was talking to my pastor today. Um, we, we work out together um, two days a week. It's a great time for us to fellowship. But um, he was, we, we joke just like you and I do, but he was telling me he was talking to another church member and he's like, if you ever want to be humbled, go work out with Roger. Try working out with a one-handed guy. <laughs> and I've never thought of it that way, but I guess that is kind of um, humbling to, to, to work out with a guy who's benching more than you. Ooh, <laughs> I hope he's going to listen to this one. Uh, he says he does. We'll find out. Yeah, huh? We'll see now. Yeah. Huh? But anyways, um, when we can't, that simply means that like my life is powerless. I'm powerless over trying to do those things that, you know, it's easy to see that with drugs and alcohol that I couldn't fix that and that my life was unmanageable. Yeah. See, I would, I, I I fought that one a little bit because I was still paying the bills, you know, and I could still go and do a job and, you know, I could manage, but you know, I found out really, I wasn't managing very well. Right. It was an illusion in your own mind. Like you were a legend in your own mind. Yeah, I was the only one that thought that, but I've never heard it that way. That's yeah. good. I did not pay the bills when I was in active addiction. So that part, the unmanageability part, was was easier to see. And then it, I didn't really, I fought that, I fought that step, you know, without knowing I was fighting it, you know, for years, of course. But once I got into the meetings and was exposed to it. You know, like I didn't even have a car. Like I was having to be dropped off at my first twelve step meetings. See, I was so much further ahead than you because when I pulled in, I pulled in my brand new at the time two thousand Eclipse, which had the front end shoved through the windshield from where <laughs> I ran through a house. <laughs> yeah. So when I first started working the steps, I mean, I I was I had already been kind of you know deflated of of the illusion that I could control and that I could, you know, beat this thing on my own. So that part wasn't hard, but it, but there was years to get there, of course. And, you know, whenever I'm looking at somebody's life who's in active addiction, you know, I'm always like, well, why can't they just get it? You know, look at it's destroying their life. Why don't they just wake up and just admit they have a problem and start, you know, start in recovery? But then, like, a voice goes off in my head. It's like, you almost had to die, you know, <laughs> before you got that. So why are you judging them? Well, like, I'm laughing because how many rehabs did you go to? I went to six different <laughs> ones. Why can't they just get why that? Why can't they just get it? I know. <laughs> uh, because you still felt like you had power over some of it. Yeah. You know, I, I did the same thing. Now, a lot of times I'll talk back like you are. Why can't they get it? Because... Finally, something stuck with the last time I went. I don't even revisit the times I went to recovery in the, in the beginning because I always had this idea in my head then that it wasn't that bad. I wasn't as bad as those other people in there yet, so I can still do what I want to do. And I, I still had this idea that if I went in there, I, I could figure out how to manage my drinking and manage my drug use to where I could do it back like it was when it was fun. Right. And until I found out that I, I just can't. Which is denial. It is. Yeah. And I think denial is probably the biggest hurdle to get over before you can finally admit that you can't, that you can't do something, that you can't control your using or drinking or whatever your hurt 
or habit is that you're trying to get over, food addiction, sexual addiction, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The principles are all the same, but, you know, if you can't get over denial and you can't admit that I can't do this on my own, I don't have the power within myself to do this, then you'll you'll never progress in your recovery and you'll never have any kind of freedom from it. So being powerless um, means that I can't fix it. I can't fix the problems going around. And and I, I would say most people find themselves, you know, in the rooms of recovery under that premise somehow or another because, I, I mean, a, a, a judge, a court, a, a spouse may send you to a meeting mm-hmm. um, and you may have this idea that I'm here because they sent me here. But if you really kind of follow the trail back, I mean, you got sent there because something was obviously wrong. I right. Mean, you don't you don't go to court for a speeding ticket and get sent to a recovery meeting. There's been multiple things that's happened to get you there. Yeah. And so the idea that we have things in order that everything's good is like you said, a delusion, and that's all that it is. And we're still believing this lie that everything is not as bad as it really is. Denial. Right, yeah. And that this unmanageability, how could you say that your life was ever unmanageable? Me? Yeah. You want like a real example? Yeah, if you got one. Yeah, yeah, I got plenty of them. Uh, I mean, I just (laughs) Who else am I talking to here? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Talking rhetorically (laughs) or something or to my dog (laughs) upstairs. But, uh, I mean, I couldn't even keep a job. I don't even know how many jobs I had when I was in active addiction. I would have a job. I'd show up high or or drunk or whatever, using and, you know, wreck my car on the job site or something. Boss would see it, and then I was fired. Um, There was one job that I got fired from and showed up the next day and didn't. Re- I had no recollection that I had gotten fired. And the boss was like, what are you doing? No way. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's so good. I don't know. It was like, he don't. She, he was like, you don't remember? I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, well, you're fired. Yeah, I made the I, right decision just, getting rid of you. I never had to fire anybody twice. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was totally out of control. Um, the consequences from, you know, drug and alcohol addiction, of course, are just very obvious and sometimes severe um <clears throat> having withdrawal symptoms all the time being sick feeling terrible you know all those things <clears throat> made my life unmanageable not to mention relationships i mean i you know was banned from my own family's get-togethers for a long time and uh rightfully so you know yeah. And didn't have any friends uh, to speak of. And, you know, it was just a general train wreck in everybody's life that I came in contact with for a long time. Yeah, I can definitely identify with any of those things, and I'm sure our listeners can. You know, if I even got more simple than that, I couldn't even manage my drugs right to where I could no, have I enough. To get, I mean, I couldn't even do that right. Uh-huh. And that's what I was doing, doing the best at. Right. So yeah, everything was bad. So ultimately I had to come to the decision that I can't fix it. You know, um, there's just no way I can fix it. And so in order to give up, I had to believe that I can't. And that left me in a kind of a weird spot because I had already lost hope before I got to this point. 
And there was this idea that if I can't fix it on my own through sheer willpower, then who could? Then I had to be, and once I, def, I became defeated enough to say that, that my life is powerless and then, I'm, and then it's unmanageable, that it's out of control, then I had to look outside of myself for a solution. And that's when I believed that, you know, he could. And that's where I began to believe in something bigger than myself, right? Yeah, I came to believe and that was hard, real hard for me. I mean, real hard because I had a lot of resentments against this Jesus guy that people have been teaching me about for a long time. And if this was the God that I had to look for um, and to look to, I, I, I didn't know if I really even wanted to do that. You know? Yeah. I mean, whenever I first came to 12 Steps, I was really just barely even holding any kind of beliefs uh, in God in general. Um, and so I remember telling my first sponsor when we got to step two that, you know, I don't know if I believe there's a God. I mean, I kind of do, you know. And he was like, that's okay. You know, are you willing to believe? And I was like, well, I guess so. And I mean, it, it can only get better from here. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so... I was so ready for my life to get better, and I was so tired of all the pain and misery that I was willing to believe. And um, he was like, "Well, that's a good enough start." And um, you know, of course, from there, you know that 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 grew over time. And then this last time that I got sober, I I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ um, as my higher power because I I now know that He's the only true higher power. Yeah, you know, when I first got sober, looking at those days of when I, you know, early on, because I was slap full of resentments, I'd not worked any of these steps that we're talking about. I was simply seeing them on walls and kind of just kind of thumbling through books. You know, it was the AA book. Um, might even picked up my Bible a few times to try to attempt to look back into it again, and then I'd get mad and slam it down because all the you know the resentments would come back up that that I had against God for different things that's happened. Um, I remember all those small what, what are they called acronyms or whatever. Then I heard the one for God, good orderly direction, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I can buy into maybe that right now. That's that's yeah. about as good as I can get right now, and that was all the willingness that I had. That okay, I, I, maybe this group, maybe they could do something. Um, and so I began to see other believers believe in something, and they looked happy. They mm-hmm. looked like they had a life that I wanted to have. And in the beginning, when I was first going to um, secular meetings, I, I saw a lot of different beliefs. Uh, but I had to pick a belief that made sense to me. Yeah, and for me that that led me back to the childhood belief that I was taught, and that was in Jesus. Now I had never really made that profession, but I I believe that you know I believe that He could do what the Bible told me He could do, and I, but I did have to change my perception of what I believed about God. Right, you know because I believed He was this hellfire brimstone God that was trying to send me to hell because all the mistakes I had made. Yeah. 
And I had to have other people explain to me that that's what he was trying to prevent from happening. Right. And that's what Jesus had done for me. Yeah. I didn't see it that way because that's yeah. not what I remember them preachers talking to me about when I was a <laughs> yeah. kid. Yeah. And maybe it was just the, the denomination I grew up in. Maybe that's just what I heard, you know, because a lot of times people can say one thing and you and hear, you hear yeah. something t- completely different. Right. Um, maybe it was the, the guilt that I walked into church with. I don't know what it was, but that's what I'd always heard. And as I continue to talk to other people, that made sense for me. You know, other people talked about, well, you can pick your own conception of God. And, and you know, I'm not here to fight that fight on this podcast with people. But, uh, you know, the whole one that we heard, we heard a lot at our group was, well, you could just pick a doorknob as your God. And, I mean, in the beginning, there was a lot of freedom in hearing that. But as I reasoned that out, I mean, I change door locks all the time on houses that I own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't throw my God away. Yeah. And I right. say that don't make sense to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, with the whole, I see, I, I'm I'm kind of split on this whole deal. You know, I'm sure every a lot of people, if you listen to our podcast, you know that you know Roger and I are both you know professing Christians believe jesus christ is uh, you know is our higher power but like when i look back at the the origins of aa and how um if you know anything about aa how abby sat down with bill the, the co- one of the co-founders of aa and when he said why don't you just choose your own conception of god i do think that there is just hear me out though there is some level of good in 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 him introducing that into aa because as we talked about the first time we 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 went over the 12 steps um last year if you exercise the 12 steps which are based on biblical principles even if you're not a believer of jesus christ even if your higher power is the great spirit in the sky you you have a great chance of recovering and can experience freedom from your addictions because you're exercising biblical principles. Mm-hmm. I I don't think that you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ for you to have good outcomes from working the steps. So, my point is I think it saved a lot of people's lives by introducing the whole choosing your own concept of a higher power thing into the 12 steps. But uh, at the same time, I don't understand it because whenever I didn't have Jesus Christ as my higher power, you know, I I relapsed. I ended up relapsing because I kind of was, I didn't really define my higher power much at all. I left it really vague and obscure and I didn't really think too much about it. And so it didn't work for me. Um, you know, having Jesus Christ as my higher power is the only thing that's that's led to any kind of long-term sobriety for me. But, you know, the whole doorknob thing, I don't understand, you know. Uh, I don't understand, you know, I've heard people say, you know, fairies are my higher power. You know, I don't understand that and uh and that's okay that I don't understand it. But like it's interesting because in, in in the original big book, it says in chapter 5 and under how it works, there is one God, may you find him now. And so it's like, 
yes, there is the, the concept of choose your own higher power, but the big book kind of contradicts that a little bit because it says there's one God. Sure. So. Well, here's my limited AA history knowledge, and so if you disagree with it. Uh, what do you think about the – do you think it's a good – Well, I, I was going to. Go I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to weave it into that is that – as you talk about Ebby talking to Bill, he was simply as one friend talking to another, trying to help him quit drinking. Yeah. But Ebby at that time was part of that Lutheran movement I talked about a minute ago. So in my belief, I may be wrong, Ebby was a Christian. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. And so he was just trying to help his buddy get quit drinking. Yeah. And so, hey, man, just choose whatever. Just, just, just quit just, drinking. Just believe. Don't die. But believe that something <laughs> can change your life because right. Bill had lost hope. Yeah. All right. So at that point, I'm like, okay, well, that's what he's trying to do here. Um, Bill, um, Dr. Bob was a Christian. And, yeah. And a lot of their, their, their AA meetings were closed with prayers. Even today, Still we today. close with, a, with the Lord's prayer. Yeah. I mean, not, not the doorknob prayer. Yeah. I mean, we, out of the Bible. Yeah. We, yeah. we do that. <laughs> uh, so it's very much rooted in Christianity. Um, so, but what I see in Ebby's in Bill's story is him just trying to reach out to a friend and say, just believe in something. I see it a lot like my story. I mean, I wasn't really ready to, to accept Jesus at this point. I was, I was interested in, in the possibility of something different. And so I just needed something to inch me on and give me some more hope to get to that point where I could believe that sure. Jesus was my Lord and Savior. So, yeah, I, I do buy into it. I don't believe that there's I, – I, I don't know. I, for me personally, uh, without going into much and digging in, going off on a rabbit trail, I believe there's some credibility to it. I do believe, as you said, it's, that idea has saved a lot of lives. Um, it hasn't saved a lot of souls, but it's saved a lot of lives. Right. And there's the old saying that we've talked about a lot. If you want to save your butt, go to a meeting. If you want to save your, save your soul, go to the church. Yeah, that's it. Uh, there's also the other thing you talk about, the big book, and then you hear people talk to, about the big, big the book. The big, big book. So I don't know. I mean, I, those just are just things I've picked up over sure. the years that I've noticed. So the main point is it, it, here is we're summing up three steps about how we can see things differently, you know, and if we're going to give up is what we're talking about we got to realize that I can't, that he can. And then the last one is that I'll let him. It's hard. You see, that's what this, this is where the big change in me began happening because now I've got to be willing to give God this opportunity to work in my life. For me, that was submitting to Jesus and giving him my life. Yeah. You know, that for a Christian, every Christian, that's where you have to humbly admit your wrongs and say, here, Lord, here I am broken and I need help. And say, I can't fix this on my own. And that was a humbling time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I guess it still is because I have to do that a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I, I, my, one of my favorite prayers is the third step prayer, which is basically, you know, your it's a prayer that talks about, you know, giving over your will to God and letting his will be done in your life and not your own. And so, you know, that's that's tough no matter who you are. Even if you're a Christian that's never struggled with addiction or whatever, that's a daily struggle for you and for all of us because, you know, we want, we want to run the show. We we want to be the pilot. 
I don't want to be the co-pilot. I want to be the pilot. I want to fly the plane. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just, that's my ego and that's my pride that always wants to take over and be in control. And sometimes when I'm in celebrate recovery meetings, like last week, I said, I'm, you know, I I'm struggling with control issues because that's, that's probably the part that I, I struggle with a lot, um, on a regular basis now is just, it's just trusting and continually turning that over and, um, you know, deciding to let God direct the show. How about this? You know, I know that um, you're a big reader of prayers. Like, you read prayers yeah. because it keeps you focused. Yeah. I know when I did my that third-step prayer you're talking about, it, this in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. and that's kind of where I started, too. And my sponsor, as we worked through the steps, he said, okay, now we're going to say this prayer together. And I'm like, okay, um, you want to read it? You want me to read it? You know? And he's like, no, you're going to read it, and you're going to get on your knees to read it. Yeah. Like, no, no, hold on. No, you for real? We're like, we going to get on our, our knees for real? Because that's just something I had never done. I've never even seen anybody in my family do that before. So that was completely like craziness to me. Like, It was so crazy for me to get down on your knees and pray was like, uh, is this some kind of spiritual craziness that we're doing? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I didn't understand it. It was that foreign to me. And to get down on my knees and say this prayer to this God that I can't see um, and open my, my heart up to a new belief and a new idea was extremely humbling for me, extremely humbling. And I, and I don't know if everybody gets on their knees to pray, but what that moment taught me was humility. Yeah. Like, I, I am getting down before something much larger than me. Like a lot of times we talk about, well, you know, God can be your buddy, your pal, your best friend. And, and I've even probably said those words. I know I've said those words because it's a way, just like Ebby was trying to talk to his friend of just trying to make it personal. Accessible. Yeah, but I mean, in that moment, I saw the holiness of God. Yeah. I was like, wow. You know, and if I believe that about God, then he can do anything that I'm I'm asking. You yeah. know, it's not like a doorknob. Right. You know? Yeah. No, um, it's far from uh, it. A doorknob just can't do what I'm asking for. When I go in there um, with control issues, with, with my addictions, with these hurts, these hangups, these habits, I, I believe that my God can fix those things. Yeah. It's not just a, a wish. I mean, I truly believe that. And so I experienced that, you know, when I was on my knees, and it was the humbling of myself to understand those things. Did I tell you when, when I, about when I said my third step prayer? No. This last time, I was in New Orleans. I was going to the New Orleans Seminary, you know, training to be a pastor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was there with my my sponsor at a coffee shop on Magazine Street in New Orleans, mm-hmm. which is in the Garden District. And we got to that part, and I wasn't expecting it. Same thing. He was like, all right, let's say the third step prayer. And I thought we were just going to keep sitting at the table. We're outside, like on a little, you know, outside tables right on Magazine Street, this busy street. Mm -hmm. And and then he moves his chair back, and he goes, and this is a big guy, too, tall guy. So it was obvious that he was getting up. He's getting on his knees, yeah. yeah. And I was like. Now, remember, I'm training to be a pastor and everything, and he was like, yeah, we're going to get on our knees and say this prayer. And I'm like, I'm thinking, in public? (laughs) (laughs) Don't let the pastor see you on the knees. (laughs) I I was like, but it was was what I needed at the time, you know. 
And so we got on our knees right there, right in the middle of, you know, traffic and people walking by with their dogs and at the people in the coffee shop. Like when we, when we came up from saying the prayer, I, I saw people looking at us like, yeah. what are they doing? Right. But I, I think he did that on purpose to show the seriousness of, of what we were praying right. and turning our wills and our lives over to God. And that, you know, if you care about what somebody's, you know, thinking walking by, you know that's that's your pride worried about that and it was it was it was a wonderful experience that's awesome because you know i find myself doing those same things today whether it be at an altar you know i'm the first one to say you don't have to go to an altar to say a prayer <laughs> yeah. but sometimes it's just you need to step out and, and get rid of the pride and whatever else is go think about you and just go be with god yeah and well it's like this um I can't fix my problems. No. I can't do it. And if I can't do it, I've got to look outside myself. I've determined that. And so that's where I I found Jesus, you know. Um, and for 16 years or 16 years next month, it's been working for me. And I, I just don't think anybody can argue that with me and, and ever win that battle. Your story is your story. What's that you meme know? you see on Facebook all the time, you know, where they have the little sign in front of the table that says, you know, change my mind. Change my mind. Yeah. You couldn't change my mind no. about that because I've experienced it. Yeah. You know, I can't explain it all to you and why it worked that way, but I've seen it work with countless other people. And so if you find yourself in that spot where you are struggling with something, well, maybe it just comes down to where, you know, you got to be willing to give up. Gonna give up. You gotta surrender to win, yep. which true. is just you stole that from somebody, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I've heard, you've, I've heard that in, in the meetings and stuff forever. Yeah. You know, because you it's like you're you're trying. You hear the terminology. You gotta fight this addiction. You gotta fight this and fight this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that kind of that kind of language and be a man. I heard that one several times, but really in reality, if you wanna if you want to have freedom from addiction, you gotta surrender. That's it. So, well, that wraps up another one. You know, um, we to sum it up one last time for everybody is: if you want to give up, then you got to be willing to admit that you can't do it, that he can do it, and that you'll let him. That's and it. And that's as simple as we know how to put three steps in into place for you. I hope that you listen to us next week because we're going to be talking a little bit more about how you can clean up. And we're going to be talking about the next couple of steps with that one. And it should be as interesting as this one. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.